A very good morning on behalf of Teach 613. We welcome you to take 10 for Talmud. Babakama pay test. Babakama 89a. Pagination is 177. We'll do a brief statement over here of great practical import. Counting up from the wide lines. Five lines up. The Gemara tells us, Osir Lola Adam, a person is forbidden, Shayisha es Ishto, to remain with his wife, Afilu Shoachas, even for a brief period of time, below Ksuba, without a Kesuba. The Ksuba is the marriage document, as we call it, but what it actually does is states the responsibilities of the husband to support the wife, and that upon his death or upon divorce, there would be a significant amount of money that he would owe her. V'taimamai, why is Ksuba so important that he's not allowed to remain with her without Ksuba? In order that it should not be light in his eyes to divorce her. There's going to be a penalty of sorts. So that's one of the perspectives on Aksuba. It involves a penalty and will cause him reluctance from divorcing her, give it another chance, think it through, cool down a little bit. And that has an impact on the marriage and is therefore required. There is an interesting practical question. What happens if the Ksuba is lost? And there is, of course, a requirement to write a new Ksuba. Often, it will be written up as a Ksuba de Irchasa, a Ksuba based on the fact that the first one was lost. Sometimes a case occurs where the ksuba is misplaced at a critical time. There have been stories about a chassan and kala on their way to a hotel for the night, and things happen. Packages get misplaced, and they're not able to locate the ksuba, and they have serious consideration that... It's actually lost. Now, if they just don't know where it is, but they know that the mother has it, that's perfectly fine. But if they really have a chashash, that it's gone. There was an incident where one of their bags was actually stolen on the way into the hotel, and that was the bag with the ksuba in it. So how do they handle on short notice the issue of a ksuba that's lost? The answer is, you ask a shayla of a posik. Now, what considerations are there? There are a number. One possibility is a concept that's mentioned, liyachid lo metaltalin, to grant her specific rights in certain objects until the ksuba can be written, and that would save you uh, the night. Another option, perhaps, is to have a ksuba actually written, 
and this can be argued, but perhaps there might be the possibility that if the chassan notifies the Rav that he's missing his ksuba, please write me a ksuba, maybe, perhaps, one can make a kinyan on behalf of the chassan because it's a zechus for him, and write up the ksuba because it's standard, nothing unusual about it, everyone does it, he's obligated to do it, it might be mutter to do such a thing. There is another interesting consideration, which is the Ramah, Samachvav Gimel, in Evna Ezer, who writes that in our time, since we're not allowed to be Megarish against her will, there might be a consideration that the Ksuba is not quite as critical, because we're not allowed to be Megarish against her will. So there's already a deterrent. And therefore, the wording is, in theory, there might be some level of leniency not to write Iksuba, because there's already a deterrent. But that's not the minig, and you're not allowed to change the minig. And there may be other reasons for Iksuba besides the fact that he shouldn't be quick to divorce her. And we certainly would write Iksuba. But if we're looking for some sort of loophole in certain cases, there might be something that we could be a little bit more lenient in our solution-oriented perspective. In fact, the Divri Malkiel uses this idea of the Ramah on a practical level. He was asked if a husband should periodically ask his wife if she knows where the Ksuba is. And the Divrei Malkiel says that he shouldn't. Because ultimately we have a backup that we're not Megarish Noshim Ba'al Karchan. We always need consent in order to divorce. So there's already a deterrent. And therefore... If the ksuba was good, you should just rely that it is good and you don't have to keep checking on it. This is in contrast, for example, to in an industry setting where we put aside chala and we rely on that chala a little bit more each time the bakery does a baking, we definitely do check on that chala and make sure that it's there. And sometimes we check on it, it's missing, and we have to do whatever solutions are required. But when it comes to Aksuba, the Divra Malkiel suggests that you don't have to keep checking because ultimately there's a backup, which is that we're not Megarish Nashim Baal Karchan. Now, just having Aksuba is not enough. The woman needs to know that she has Aksuba. She has to be able to be so mechas daita that she knows that were he to divorce her, she would get this amount of money, and therefore the deterrent is there in the dynamic of the marriage. What I mean to say is that it actually goes a step further than just her knowing. The result of her knowing that she would be able to collect is that she is aware 
that he knows that there's a penalty to divorce her, and therefore she's able to conduct her married life with a different level of confidence. She does not have the feeling that if she doesn't put the salad exactly the way he likes it, that she's going to get divorced for it. <laughs> she understands that there's a deterrent in place that Chazal imposed, and that he knows about it, and she knows about it, and therefore the marriage should never need such a thing for divorce. It should be a stable marriage. But she has to be some mechas das. She can't feel vulnerable. She has to know that the ksuba exists and that it protects the marriage. Now, an interesting question which is proposed by the Rivosh in Simen Kufnun Gimel is that according to some calculations, the amount of the ksuba money is not very significant. And therefore, the Rivosh wonders, how exactly is it a deterrent? And the Rivosh suggests that the amount of the ksuba is based on the Jewish people's standard viewing the poorest of the people, and he outlines significant examples of poverty that were mentioned in the Talmud, different people and different times, and he suggests that the amount they imposed would be a heavy burden on a poor person, and that more wealthy people can certainly add. At the time of the Chasna, for example, if the Kala side, the Chasin side, they want to put in greater numbers into the Ksuba, that's fine. And that's precisely, perhaps, what Chazal meant when they said, if a guy wants to add on to the amount of the Ksuba, he could, which is actually a very interesting statement to make, because it is a Shtar Chov of sorts, it's a financial obligation, and of course you should be able to add as much as you want. So perhaps you could argue they were worried that you shouldn't be mevayish those who can't add, or something like that. But it could be that Chazal were actually intimating that it's a good thing to add. We're only giving an obligation, as Chazal always did, something that the tzibur is yachal la'amod bo, that the entire Jewish people can fulfill. And that means that a poor person, by a stretch, would be able to fulfill this obligation. But a rich person who finds it easy to fulfill this obligation and feels that this is not going to be a deterrent in their marriage might indeed add amounts to the ksuba. Again, the statement of the Gemara, A person is not allowed to be with his wife, even temporarily, without a ksuba, and if there are unusual circumstances that present themselves, the couple needs to go promptly to a rav to figure out an appropriate solution. Yashikoach, thank you for joining.